Shalom and a warm welcome to everyone to this week's ICEJ weekly webinar. I'm David Parsons, one of the vice presidents here at the International Christian uh, Embassy coming to you from our headquarters in Jerusalem. We're just so glad you've joined us for our weekly webinar. We always try to end the week Thursday, 4 p.m., uh, as we get towards the end of the week here in Israel with something interesting and fascinating uh, relating to things going on around us. And this week we've got a Bible teaching, hallelujah, because we are, it is Erev Shavuot. We are on the eve at uh, sundown this evening in just a couple hours here in Jerusalem, over the land of Israel. We will enter the biblical feast of Shavuot or weeks. Of course, this is uh, instituted by the Lord uh, through Moses in the wilderness, where at the Passover, you have the first of Nisan, a full moon. Fourteen days later, you have Passover. Uh, you observe the Passover, and then you have what's called the first, the feast of first fruits which is uh, on the day after the first Shabbat during the week of Passover. And from there, you count 50 days or seven weeks plus one day. Shavuot, uh, Shavuot is a week, so it's the Feast of Weeks. We Christians call it Pentecost for 50, 50 days. That 50 days after this, the middle of, of Passover, the Feast of First Fruits, uh, you have... Uh, uh, this uh, Feast of Shavuot, and it marks the giving of the law at Sinai, and of course for Christians, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. So an important holiday for Jews and Christians, and many parallels between the two. And today, to help us understand this, we have Reverend Malcolm Heading, who uh, is the uh, Executive Director Emeritus of the Christian Embassy, He's uh, still one of our board members, uh, our international board of trustees, and an international spokesman, a preacher, and uh, just a real gift of God to our ministry over these many years since the time he started out as a chaplain for us back in the 1980s. Malcolm, good to see you. Mm. Wonderful feast, yeah. Yes. All right. Well, uh, I give you the pulpit, and uh, I'm ready. I'm anxious to hear myself. I know people are joining us from everywhere. Help us understand what we are celebrating now. All right. So wonderful. Welcome, everybody. It's it's wonderful to have this opportunity to share the Word of God with you. And today, as we look at the Feast of Pentecost, I'd like to set it in its original context and take it from there and study the implications of how it has worked out from the first Pentecost that took place at Mount Sinai. So let's turn to the book of Deuteronomy, first of all, and we're going to read just a few verses from chapter 33, and it's Moses addressing the people of Israel, <laughs> and we read from verse 1, Deuteronomy 33. Now this is the blessing with which Moses, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel before his death. And he said, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned on them from Seir. He shone forth 
from Mount Paran, and he came with ten thousands of saints. From his right hand came a fiery law for them. Yes, he loves the people. All his saints are in your hand. They sit down at your feet. Everyone receives your words. Moses commanded a law for us, a heritage of the congregation of Jacob, and he was king in Jeshurun when the leaders of the people were gathered, all the tribes of Israel together. That's a wonderful, wonderful passage, and we could spend a lot of time on it, except to say that it includes the vision of thousands and thousands and thousands of saints who will one day sit down at the feet of God and rejoice in him. That is incredible. And we need to take note of that. And that's the implication of Mount Sinai. Now we go to the most familiar passage to all of us. And that is Acts chapter 2, where we read, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Two incredible scriptures that are linked together by one amazing feast. So Pentecost is one of the three great pilgrim feasts of the Bible. And as David just pointed out, the first being Passover, and then 50 days later, Hence the word Pente, five. Fifty days later, you have the festival of Shavuot or Pentecost. And finally, at the end of the harvest season, near the end of the year, you have the Feast of Tabernacles. And uh, in its biblical context, then, Pentecost constitutes the 50 days that it took Israel to reach Mount Sinai after the exodus from Egypt. It was therefore at Sinai, and we need to realize this, that God met with Abraham's children. That's important. There is a connection between Abraham and Sinai. He met with Abraham's children and offered them his precious law and his intention to take them as his bride and special treasure. So at Mount Sinai, these slaves, who were nevertheless Abraham's children, and who had dwelt in Egypt for some 400 years, downtrodden, beaten down, in a way despised and weak people, they met with God at Mount Sinai. It's absolutely wonderful, really, when you realize that God, who God came down for. So he comes down and he meets with Abraham's beaten down children who have suffered so much. And there 
at Mount Sinai, he offers them his precious law by which ultimately he will make them a special treasure. And these words are mentioned in Deuteronomy chapter 7. If you turn there with me this morning, Deuteronomy chapter 7, and uh, you find this in verses 6 and 7. You are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you above all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all peoples. You were the least of all peoples. They were truly a beaten down, downtrodden, ragtag, surviving people that in a way uh, limped out of Egypt by great signs and miracles. But this is the people group that God looked for. Isn't that incredible? And, you know, that's why Paul said that if you look at who we are, many of us, we just, the, the off-scourings of the world, the, the people that the world thinks are nobodies, that constitute no real importance or treasure. But this is exactly who God is looking for. He's looking for you and for me. And uh, he comes to the broken and the needy, the downtrodden, and, and those who are weak. And he turns them into his bride. And if you look at uh, paintings in Jewish institutions, especially in Israel and elsewhere, the Chagall paintings of this encounter that God has with Israel or Abraham's children, at Mount Sinai, you will always see Israel dressed as a bride. She, she's a bride at Mount Sinai. God takes her as his bride. What a wonderful, wonderful truth. So it was at Mount Sinai after 49 days that God invited Israel to radiate the light and the revelation of his character that he spoke to Abraham about, and to radiate it to the world. You remember that God said to Abraham, in you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. The Bible says she will be a light to the nations, and that light to the nations is chiefly a spiritual light, a light of God's character, a light of God's glory, a light of God's purpose. These are wonderful truths, and um, and, and, and that light was first delivered to the people of Israel on Mount Sinai. It's there that God offered them the opportunity, after 400 years of terror, to become the light givers of his character to the world and to be his bride. How marvelous that is. So this is the context, you see. So... So the Feast of Pentecost teaches us some things then, and, uh, and they are the following. It is the Torah or the five books of Moses that God delivers to his people on Mount Sinai. And this is our first point, the importance of God's word. 
And it is in this embodiment of five books that God uniquely reveals who he is, the nature of his character and, and the demands of righteousness and that he is a God of love. And there's no other source in the Bible that so strongly puts forward the nature of God other than that which we see uh, given to Moses at Mount Sinai. And, and these wonderful books, this, this word of God that comes to the people of God at Mount Sinai, sets forth his purpose for the world sets forth his purpose for the world. And, and, uh, and uh, that tells us how important the word of God is. You know, in a sense, and, and Jesus alluded to this, in a sense, in a way, the rest of the Bible, including the New Covenant, is just a commentary on and the working out of the five books of Moses. That's what it is. And Jesus said that when he was resurrected from the dead and was walking on the road to Emmaus with his disciples. They were downcast. Uh, they were forlorn. And he, he came up to them and said, well, let's journey together. We're obviously going in the same direction. So why are you guys so so depressed and they spoke of him and said to him well you know we followed this messiah we thought he would save israel and and be the promised man of god who would come in fulfillment of the word of god to deliver israel and he ended up dead and uh, in a way they were saying we gave everything to him and and we got to a dead end and uh he listens to this, and, and then Jesus makes a statement. The Bible says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he began to speak to him the things concerning himself. Beginning with Moses, the five books of the law, and the consequential outworking of that. You see, the prophets were merely a commentary on Israel's obedience or disobedience to the law. And the New Testament is the majesty of the law made real and vital as you look at the person of Jesus. He is the law of God because the, the law of God embodied in the Ten Commandments is a picture of the perfection of God. And that's the glory of God. That's why the Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And it's that glory when Moses received this wonderful, wonderful revelation of who God is, his face shone with the glory of God. The glory of God and the law go together. And that's why the law was in the Holy of Holies under the mercy seat. It symbolizes the glory of God that has to be appeased and propitiated by the sacrifice of an atoning lamb. So these are wonderful things. But it teaches us the importance of the Word of God. And this morning, I want to, or this evening, or this afternoon, or midnight today, I want to exhort you to build your life on the Word of God. Jesus referring to it, because the New Covenant Scriptures never existed, 
at that time when he said, Thy word is truth. Sanctify them in thy word. Thy word is truth. And he was speaking of the Hebrew scriptures then. And, uh, and that's so important for us to remember. And uh, the word of God must be built into our lives. You know, in James chapter 1 and verse 21, uh, the writer says, who is James or Yaakov more correctly, Yaakov or Yaakov, he says that we have to receive the word implanted, which is able to save our souls. That's, a, that's an interesting statement. You can read it in James 1 and verse 21. So it means that the saving agent, we are saved when we gave our lives to Christ, but then we are being saved from ourselves, our fallen natures, by a process of sanctification. And finally, we will be saved when Jesus comes again. That is, we will be perfect. But the point is, is the saving agent that works through your life and protects you against wickedness and evil and sin and failure is the Word of God. We must come to Pentecost. We must understand that at Mount Sinai, God gave forth something that was incredible, something that was absolutely amazing. And, uh, and he gave it as a treasure to the people of Israel. And that's important for us to understand. So the first thing that this Pentecost celebration reminds us of is the importance of the Word of God. And you know, if you want to know about the importance of the Word of God, well then try memorizing Psalm 119, uh, which, which gives us a full description of the power, the importance, the beauty, the grandeur, the majesty, the glory of the law of God. And there are far too many Christians who downplay the law or who ignore it and who have no understanding of how it works out in their lives. So we thank God that the word of God is given to us on Mount Sinai. And what a wonderful picture that is. And we remember today that Jesus, when he spoke of himself, began with Moses. He began with Pentecost. And he explained everything about himself from there on. That must have been one incredible Bible study. I wish I had been there. So it's important then to know that and, uh, and, to, and to realize that. So secondly, the second lesson we learn, you see, from Mount Sinai is the importance of his people. That's just a wonderful thing, you see. We learn the importance of his people. At Sinai, on the day of Pentecost, God displayed his intention, as I've said, to take for himself from the world a bride, beginning with Israel. Notice that. God displayed his intention to take from the world, a bride for himself, beginning with the nation of Israel. Embedded in the events at Sinai was the divine purpose of including in the bride company people from all nations. 
and that's that that wonderful picture we read you see from Deuteronomy that that this this bride of hundreds of thousands of saints from everywhere are gathered at the feet of Jesus the feet of God and you know God made this very clear in in the five books of Moses when he first engaged the father of our faith, naturally speaking, the one who embodies the beginning and full revelation of God. When God came to Abraham, he said, in you all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. I'm reaching through you the nation that will come from you to the nations of the world. That's my purpose. And that began at Mount Sinai. And uh, it's really wonderful. And it's this, it's this, it's this thought you see that Paul understood. And that's why in the book of Ephesians he he talks about the mystery that God gave to him. And a mystery in the Bible is not some new revelation, not like Paul understood something that nobody else had ever understood. That's not. The definition, dear friends, of a biblical mystery. A mystery in the Bible is something that is always, in a way, hidden in the prophetic word and in the Hebrew scriptures that at the right time is made known to his people. And this is exactly. And, and that, by the way, comes from Romans, the last book of Romans, where we have that understanding of, of what a biblical mystery is. And uh, we should always, I'll read it to you just so you hear it. In the last chapter of Romans, that is Romans chapter 16, we read this in verse 25 and 26. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations, according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith. How is that? That, that Paul tells us a mystery that he presents to them is not something that he thought, thought up or was given out of the context of the Bible, some new revelation. No, it was not. The mystery is something that was always there, but at the right time, the Holy Spirit shines upon this truth and reveals it to us. And so in, in Ephesians chapter 3, and verse 6, he says this, you see, and uh, I'll read from verse 4, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body. That is a body that's already existed. That's the nation of Israel. 
and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. What is his promise? His promise was to take a bride. And, and that promise was made to Abraham. And then after 400 years on Mount Sinai, God took the first step to take for himself a bride. And he would reach out to the nation of Israel. But beyond her, in the very Torah, was always embedded the desire of God to take a people, a weak, broken, somewhat despised people from all the nations of the world. Those who are in need of help, he comes to them to take them as his bride and to fulfill the promises that he gave in the five books of Moses, beginning with Abraham. So we have, we have this first fruit, you see, which is what Pentecost is about. You have this first fruit people coming, and, uh, and God is going to extend that to the nations. And ultimately, uh, this bride that he's taking will have a glorious final celebration in heaven. Now listen to these words from the book of Revelation. So here we have in Mount Sinai the intention of God to take unto himself a very special people, a treasure, he says. And by the way, those very same words are in 1 Peter applied to the church of Jesus as well from all the nations, a holy people a treasured people, a precious people, a bride. He longs, he longs for a bride. And in Revelation 21 and uh, 19, uh, 21, sorry, yes, and uh, 9, 9 and 10, we read this. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride the Lamb's wife, and he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain. Did you notice that? It's like another Mount Sinai. It's the fulfillment of it. That's incredible. He carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, another Sinai, and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven, from God. Wow. It is the home of the bride. That is amazing. That is Pentecost. Another high mountain. What began in the desert with a weak and broken people has gone forth to the nations. And then another High mountain will be a place of vision, and there we behold the bride of the Lamb. Also, you see, Moses spoke of Jesus in this endeavor 
to take her bride. So there it is, you see, at the center of Pentecost. Because in the five books of Moses, he speaks clearly about the person of Jesus. And, uh, and he does it by making this statement that God will raise up unto you a prophet like myself. And your whole eternal destiny surrounds what you do with him. And uh, Stephen in Acts chapter 7, you can read it, alludes to that in verses 37 and 39. In fact, he quotes it. And uh, that statement is first found in Deuteronomy 18. So this, this new Moses is actually different from Moses himself. In, in that, in Deuteronomy, if you read it carefully, we find, we find out that he speaks as God himself. That's amazing. So, so God is to be incarnated and he'll raise up this prophet like unto myself, but he, he will speak as God and uh, in his power is the destiny of every man, woman, and child. What they do with him will determine what he does with them. And we can either have eternal life if we come to him by faith and repentance, or we can have eternal destruction. So right here, you see, in the five books of Moses, this Torah that was given at Sinai is embodied this remarkable and glorious message of a Messiah who by his work and his passion would change the destiny of men and women and what we do with him will determine whether we shall be part of the bride. It's the bride, the bride of the Lamb. What a wonderful thing. It's just so magnificent, this picture of who we are. And, uh, and we are destined to meet him in a glorious marriage supper that is beyond description. And uh, you need to hold that before you. And in Acts chapter 19, we have a picture of this, and let us let us hear this. You see, this is Pentecost, really. And uh, as it was at Sinai, you see, we started verse six. We got this wonderful declaration, and I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters. Now that's what Moses said at Mount Sinai, the first scripture we read, this, this multitude of voices, like, like the sound of many voices. He, he heard it. He, Moses saw these 
multitudes of saints, you see. It was the sound of a mighty thundering. Wow. These are incredible pictures, people. Absolutely incredible. And they shouted, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. There's a, there's a wonderful, wonderful hymn, of course, in that regard, and many. But the Hallelujah chorus is just wonderful. It's this resounding praise from the bride. And this is what they say. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. So at this marriage supper she transforms from being a bride to a wife. This is, a, this is amazing. And I hope you catch the glory of Pentecost then. The glory of Pentecost that unveiled the plan and the purpose of God in the world. And uh, that is just something absolutely magnificent about this festival of Pentecost. And we need to get it. My friends, you are part of the body of Christ. But that is something that is far more glorious in its concept than you have ever thought. You are the betrothed of Jesus. Uh, you are the one that's, that's, that's going to move toward a bride and become his wife. And uh, this is so incredible. So, so we have here in this passage the importance of the people of God. You need to know how important you are, how precious you are. And uh, that's the message of Pentecost. Partly, of course, not altogether, because now we're going to turn to our final point of reference this morning. And... Uh, And that is the importance of an anointed life. The importance of an anointed life. So this brings us the full circle to Acts chapter 2. And we have to note the following. When God set out to take for himself a bride from Israel and all the nations of the world, he knew that he would have to seal them and embrace them by clothing them with himself. Did you hear that? When God set out to take for himself a bride from Israel and all the nations of the world, he knew that he would have to seal them and embrace them by clothing them with himself. This would be a type of down payment or engagement ring. She is the bride-to-be, by which they were secured for the great marriage celebration and supper of the Lamb. Did you hear that? And uh, it's, it's just, it's a wonderful picture that 
that we see reflected in our human relationship of a bride to be and a marriage supper that we secure the woman of our choice by giving her something that is visible and uh, tells every other individual around her that she's not for sale anymore. You can't court her. You, you can't in, in, in any way make her your bride because the ring I put on her finger tells you that she belongs to me, that she's on a journey that's going to bring us together as a man and a wife. And that's what God does at Pentecost, you see. It's, it's incredible that, uh, that he does something uh, at Pentecost, which is amazing. But this could only happen if the bride had made herself ready. We, we see that by being truly redeemed by the spilt blood of the Lamb. So Pentecost could only take place after the actual death of Christ. That which is envisaged at the first Pentecost can only transpire at Pentecost thousands of years later because of the spilt blood of the Lamb. His blood would cover her in God's righteousness and give her a longing to actually reflect or be God's righteousness. Did you hear that? If, if you are saved and covered in God's righteousness by what Jesus did for you on the cross, then you must also have a longing to actually reflect or be God's righteousness, which we call sanctification. We have two ideas of righteousness in the Bible, that which is imputed as a gift and that which is imparted as we walk the gift out in Christ. What an important thing. The bride. So those pursuing this goal by faith and repentance would be sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise sent from heaven and reserved for the marriage supper of the Lamb. And uh, that's what happened on the day of Pentecost, where this assembled bride-to-be was actually sealed. God gave her the engagement ring. And uh, she was reserved then for the great marriage supper of the Lamb. And you know, the Apostle Paul speaks of Pentecost in these terms. This is what believers would receive. Having believed in Christ, having surrendered their lives to Christ, having desired by all means to have life, the life of Christ implanted in them, they would then be baptized with the Holy Spirit. God would seal them. And uh, that baptism of the Holy Spirit, of course, is spoken of by Jesus himself as the promise of the Father. And um, that baptism of the Holy Spirit 
is a remarkable empowering of the believer to serve Christ in the world. In John chapter 7, Jesus speaks of it in these words, and then we shall see how Paul describes this. John chapter 7, and uh, we read from verse 37. On the last day, that great day of the feast, that's Pentecost, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing made themselves ready in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. God could not seal his bride until Jesus had actually been raised from the dead. And Paul underlined this encounter awaiting sincere, honest, and dedicated believers when in the book of Ephesians, you see, he puts it another way. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 to 14. So we read here, verse 13, In him you also, now notice the word, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. in whom, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. This is the wedding ring, the, the engagement ring, until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So the engagement ring we have, you know, the, the, the language is so clear who is the guarantee of our inheritance to be filled with the Spirit, to be overcome by the baptism of the Holy Spirit, to come to the Pentecost of Acts chapter 2, means that you are sealed for the day of the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is God's possession, and no one else can take it. It is His he has sealed it, and he will keep it until the redemption of the purchased possession. That means until you finally arrive at the marriage supper of the Lamb. So after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus on the day of Pentecost, God honored his promise and poured out his Holy Spirit on his waiting apostles and followers. Thus his desire expressed at Sinai on the first day of Pentecost was fulfilled some 3,000 years later on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem. A church filled and infused with the Holy Spirit of God was adorned at Pentecost with bridal gowns and sent out into the world to preach the glorious gospel of salvation. That is amazing. 
The church was sealed. The believers were sealed. And the bridal gown was this down payment. The Bible actually says that Jesus said they should stay in Jerusalem until they are clothed with power from on high. A clothing, a bridal gown. Question is, have you experienced that Pentecost? That's a question. Have I? At Pentecost, then God committed himself to his people in a new way. And this glorious life in the Holy Spirit is reflected in John's Gospel and the book of Acts. We really, we really need to read John's Gospel carefully. This glorious life in the Holy Spirit. This gown to be clothed with God. With garments given from heaven. Is reflected in Jesus' preaching on the Holy Spirit. And you can read it in John 14, in John 15, in John 16. It's extensive that if, if you are overshadowed and anointed and clothed with the Holy Spirit of Pentecost, then you have an intimate relationship with the Spirit of God who first and foremost teaches you about Christ, takes the things of Christ and brings them to you. And secondly, who comforts you. And thirdly, becomes your advocate. He works on your behalf. And fourthly, he teaches you of things to come. He gives you an insight into the world in which you live and what's coming around the corner. And, uh, and so you have this, this wonderful, wonderful, wonderful picture. And, and through your life, as you interact with people, he will convict them of sin and righteousness and judgment. This is... The spiritful life, people. And we have not celebrated Pentecost if we don't live it. So Jesus is talking about something actual. That, that built on the foundation of good theology, there is this incredible experience of the Holy Spirit whereby he literally interacts with you, speaks to you, leads you warns you of things to come, opens your eyes to see the things of Jesus. It's just amazing. So this is a supernatural anointing of the oil of God's Spirit. And we must have this reality today. You must have it. I must have it. It's, it's the sealing of the, of the bride. It's the bridal gown in preparation for the marriage supper of the Lamb. And you know, how would we define the baptism of the Holy Spirit then as we bring this to a close? It is nothing less than Jesus walking amongst us every day. And that's like, wow. We sometimes so long to be with Christ and to and to have seen him and we will and we should but 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 he you know he said that when the Holy Spirit comes it will be actually him coming 
And so, apart from his body, you can meet with him by the Spirit of God. You can meet with him. You can meet with him. And you can go away from a meeting knowing that he walked with you amongst you. What a certainty that is. That's Pentecost. And I'll read it to you. John 14, verses 15 to 18. John 14, 15 to 18. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. In other words, make yourself ready. What's his commandment? To repent, to take him into your life by faith, to live out a life of sanctification, whereby you apply righteousness, having received it as a gift. If you do those things, the bride will make herself ready. And I will pray the Father, and he'll give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now listen to this. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Yes, I'm leaving in my bodily form. I'm returning to the right hand of glory. But I will return immediately. I will not leave you as an orphan. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, you will understand me and meet with me. This was the longing and promise of God first given at Sinai to Moses. Would he cried out that upon all God's people, the Spirit of God would come. The New Testament scriptures bring us to a place where this promise of the Father is fulfilled. He has sealed his bride. Amen. Thank you, Malcolm, for that uh, wonderful word. And I... Uh, different perspective on uh, Shavuot and Pentecost, uh, but uh, well grounded in the Word. It was very thorough from the book of uh, the books of Moses all the way over to Revelation, and we really, really thank you for uh, seeking the Lord and getting a good message for today as we enter Pentecost. I'm, uh, I think, uh, you know, this thing of uh, Jesus with you. He won't leave us orphans. He, um, if that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, he'll quicken, he'll give light to your body every day. And how much, how faithful God has been since I've been filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's a seal until that day of redemption and the actual wedding feast of the Lamb. Malcolm, I'm also reminded of uh, Jeremiah chapter 2. Uh, it's a very interesting passage that, uh, you know, we think of the wilderness experience, Sinai and whatever, 
uh, Israel disobeying and disobeying. It was a time of correction and wandering in the wilderness. But God also has a certain nostalgia uh, for the, the Sinai experience. In Jeremiah 2, chapter verse 2, go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord, I remember uh, the devotion of your youth. Let me read this in the New King James. It's, uh, it's a bit more po poetic. I remember the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrayal, but betrothal, excuse hey, well. me, mm. when you went after me in the wilderness in a land not sown, that God had shown his power to the Israelite children in Egypt, and by delivering them by the mighty hand, by the plagues, the parting of the Red Sea, brings them out into the wilderness where he has his first chance to really introduce himself to them. I'm not just a God of power and might and judgment, but I'm a God of love. And he's finally alone with them. And what if you took your first date, you, you took Cheryl on her first date out into the middle of the swamp or the middle of the desert? Uh, where it doesn't matter your car, there's no dinner, there's no movie, you're in an old July, you, you, you even walk to there by foot. <laughs> and God remembers this, that, that they followed him out there into the middle of nowhere, where they were finally alone together and he introduced himself. And I think in Hosea chapter 3, it says he's going to lure them again to the wilderness, this nation, Israel. And reintroduce himself uh, as their bridegroom through the person of Messiah. I believe that's what Hosea promises. So God remembers it uh, with a certain nostalgia, and and uh, you've made an incredible case how we're part of that bride of Christ. It's very reassuring, encouraging, and instructional. Thank you. And we also You're welcome. We also have the hope that Israel, this nation, there is a generation, uh, we're on the cusp of it, that will come to know him as their bridegroom through the person of Messiah, Jesus. Okay. Amen, amen. We hope you enjoyed this. Uh, we're seeing some good reactions here uh, and drawing people closer to the Lord. We thank everyone for joining us. We will be back again next week for our ICEJ weekly webinar next Thursday, 4 p.m. Israel time. We hope you join us then. Uh, remember that next uh, Wednesday at 4 p.m. Israel time, we have our, our regular global prayer gathering, praying for Israel, the region, the world. And next week we have a special, it's the third anniversary of uh, the global prayer gathering and uh, of the of the Rosh Hodesh, uh, excuse me, prayer chain, which at the start of every Hebrew month, the first day of the month on the Rosh Hodesh, the new moon, uh, we've started prayer vigil. It started out, Malcolm, uh, three years ago on just before Pentecost Sunday, or I think it was Pentecost Sunday three years ago, and, and early in the in the uh, Corona era. <laughs> And uh, we had 12 hours planned out. We didn't know how we could fill 12 hours of, of a prayer vigil online, but the Lord filled that, and it has grown now to 200 and some hours. It's up to around 12 days, and people from over 70 nations that are part of Rosh Hodesh. We're right in the midst of our latest 
Rose Shoulders Prayer Chain. Thanks to Josh and Anastasia Gooding for being faithful to keep that organized and together. And we're marking three years of the Rosh Hodesh prayer uh, chain next week, next Wednesday at the Global Prayer Gathering. Make sure you join us then. It's going to be a great time. The webinar next Thursday, you also have the feast coming up. Don't uh, forget about that. La late uh, September, early October, the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem. And finally, we wish you a very warm, happy, and blessed Shavuot, Hag Sameach from Jerusalem. God bless you, man.